0: So we are on the attributes of God. This is week six for us. Um, Tonight we are talking about the immutability of God, His unchangeableness. And tonight it's going to be, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, We talked about, last time we talked about the eternity of God and God's eternality and immutability. Kind of go hand in hand, if you will. Um, But just a quick review of what we talked about last time uh, in terms of God's eternity, God's eternal in duration. So Psalm 90 verse two, it says before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We talked about how God does not exist within the realm of time as we do, but how he is the creator of time. Time for us affects our lives, everything that we do. But for God, there are no constraints of time. Uh, we talked about God's eterni- eternality um, in the respect that he has no beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. He was there in the beginning of time. He is the creator of time. Uh, But he existed even before time did. And he will exist even after time as we know it ends. Um, So God does not have a beginning, nor does he have an end. Psalm 102 verse 27 says, your years will not come to an end. Uh, we said that there is no succession in God, there is no uh in terms of sequential process, and we looked at that really like in terms of knowledge, we said that God knows everything all at once god's uh no succession of god's thoughts He sees everything at once. God is the first cause of all things, and if that were not the case, he would not be. Eternal, uh, God is all powerful. If He were not eternal, that could not be. And we said that because uh, He would have to gain power. If He were not all powerful, that means He would have to gain power, and that would mean what? That something had to exist prior to Him that was stronger to bring Him into existence. But no one brought God into existence. Um, and there is no one or no thing more powerful than God. Only God is eternal. That was something that we talked about as well. And Christ Jesus is God. So therefore he is eternal. Colossians 1:17 says that he was before all things. Uh, All things are present to God, not divided into successive points like before and after. It's all there before him. Uh, Eternity, we said, though we may think deeply about it at times, we cannot fully comprehend it in time. Uh, Therefore, we said that we shouldn't sit back as creatures of time and judge eternality or you know we shouldn't judge God in terms of his eternality and how things work sometimes we just have to sit and meditate and be in awe Mm -hmm. of who God is we can try to explain and explain and explain and we still will not be able to fully explain who God is or his eternality because who can fully comprehend God Um, so why must God be eternal that was a question that we sought to answer last time and much of that ties into what we will discuss tonight but in part some answers to why God must be eternal were that his very name demands it Uh, Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 says I am that I am Yahweh His name indicates there is neither past nor future uh, with him. It's not, I was. He didn't say, I was or I will be. I am that I am. See, God is. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For uh, he who comes to God must believe that he is And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, God is immutable. He he does not change. He uh, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Though God brought time into existence, time did not change God. Uh, He did not move from past to present, nor does he move from present to to future there is no change or shifting shadow with God as James 1:17 uh tells us so let's pray and then we'll talk a little more a little more about immutability so father we thank you once again for this time that we have together god to talk about you and who you are your attributes god this is just one way of us for us to get to know you better God, through your word, through scripture, we get to draw closer to you, Lord, and though we only scratch the surface whenever we discuss who you are here, God, we pray that it would have an an eternal impact on us, God, that we would seek you more, God, that we would trust you more by learning more about who you are. And as we learn more about you, may we not hold it to ourselves, God, but tell the world about the great God that we serve. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So immutability, like I said, this one, this is going to be straightforward here tonight. So what is immutability? So by definition, immutability is unchangeableness. It's the quality that renders change or alteration impossible. It's invariableness. Unchangeableness, the quality that renders change or alteration impossible, invariableness. So, God is immutable. God is unchangeable, invariable, unalterable, not capable or susceptible to change god does not change and that should give us comfort right from the door knowing that we are serving a god who does not change now in some ways it is uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable because we sometimes want god to change to fit who we are Mm -hmm. and to to meet our demands but He does not change according to who we want him to be. Who he is is who he says he is in his word. Then it's up to us once we learn who he is to bring our lives into conformity with who Christ is. And we have to be satisfied with who God is, who Christ is. Christ doesn't change. God does not change. Um, So. In what what ways is God immutable? We'll look at a few ways here in which he is immutable. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four, says this. It says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness and truth. So that kind of matches up with the uh, the definition that we just read as well. So before we talked about God being self-existent, so these are just some ways that he is immutable. God is he's self-existent. He is the very first being. He relies on no one but himself. He is spirit, does not have a body, and is therefore not subject to change. He is the only independent, eternal spirit, totally unlike created spirits who are capable of change. God's self-existence teaches us that he derives nothing from causes outside of himself. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25, it says this. It says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. God relies only upon himself. His creation, as we talked about before, depends on him. He relies on himself and does not change. Anything that changes must come from a cause. And there is nothing powerful enough to cause God to change, you know, and and that just goes back to his eternality. You know, there was nothing here before God. God is, he says, I am. He always was, always will be. He's not created. You know, there was no external force that created God. You know, so there is nothing that can cause God to change. Uh, Charles Hodge said this. He says, as an infinite and absolute being, self-existent and absolutely independent, God is exalted above all the causes of and even above the possibility of change. So not only can God not change, there is no possibility for him to change, not even an inkling of a possibility. Uh, God is immutable in his knowledge. So before we get into this, any questions or or comments? Good to go. Okay. God is immutable in his knowledge. He knows all things at all times. Everything that was and everything that is to be, God knows. Uh, And we've said this a few times. But God has not learned anything, nor at any time will he learn anything. And why is that? That's because God has perfect knowledge. See, knowledge for us, as God's creation, increases as we discover new things. We learn things and increase our knowledge. And then even some of the things that we learn, we tend to forget, right? And we have to refresh our memories. Uh, when someone is called upon in court to uh to testify and they go and they take the stand, uh, if they have previously given a statement about something, and they are questioned on that statement that they uh that they had previously given they have a right to say, wait a minute, let me refresh my recollection. And what that means is they are giving, they are going to be given a written statement of what they said. They are then able to read over what it was that they said to make sure that they don't contradict what they said before. But you know, someone who is questioning and questioning them is going to try to get them to say something different in some cases, depending on which side that you're on. They're going to want them to say something different, try to find some holes in it, or in their favor, they want them to say the same exact thing that they said, so the other side can't blow any holes in what they said, but they get to refresh their, uh, their recollection. So, God... When it comes to God, he never forgets what he has promised. He doesn't need any refresher about what he said. Now, sometimes when we pray, we may say the phrase, God, you said in your word that, you know, and we would say, you you will never leave me or forsake me. You know, we may say those things back to God, but now it's not more, it's not so much of a reminder to God of what he said, but more so that we are acknowledging that we trust God to do what he says in his word. We're not reminding him as if he, uh, you know, as if he forgot, you know, that's just an acknowledgement. Like, listen, you know, we, God, we go to your word. We see what your promises are in your word. We know that you're not going to go back on your promise. You're not going to change your promise. This is what you said. I trust in it. And then we wait, you know, we wait for God to answer based on, um, you know, our prayer and what he has promised us in his word. Um, so any questions or comments so far? Okay. So God comprehends All things at once, including what is unknown to us and what we call the future. See, the Lord already knows what is going to take place and what we and what we know as the future. God already knows. Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 18, King James Version. It says this. It says known unto God are all his works. From the beginning of the world. So, this brings into focus not only God's knowledge, but his will also. Uh, we look at things in the aspect of time, right? Past, present, future. God doesn't. Again, he sees it all at once. Now, that does not mean that God does not see a succession in in things you know like as we see it because he understands it all he understands the succession of things but his knowledge is perfect and there is no succession in his knowledge and like he's not waiting and depending on one thing to happen before another thing can happen he sees it all he knows the the uh the end from the beginning um and why is this because as Psalm 147, uh, five says, it says, his understanding is infinite. So his, his knowledge, God is immutable in his knowledge. He never learns anything. He never forgets anything. Does not need to be reminded about anything. He knows it all. And this is from the beginning of time. From the beginning of time. We don't know one day from, the next one moment from the next God sees it all he knows it all you know and and that never never changes the moment that it changes that God doesn't know something he's no longer God you know he then has to learn something and what is that going to do with the rest of his will his his purpose that he has set out it would frustrate it all If God learned something, if he needed to depend on one thing to happen before another could. No, it's all happening according to his will, his his immutable will and purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about um, next. So God is immutable in his will and purpose. So there is perfect agreement between God's knowledge and his will. God's knowledge is one intuitive act, so to speak. So everything was always known to him at once. All that could be known was known by him at once. It was, And on top of that, it wasn't learned. It wasn't like one day God didn't know anything and then all of a sudden All knowledge came upon him. Now, this is tied to his eternity as well. You know, he knew everything all at once from the beginning of time. His will was determined. It was set in place. There was nothing that was going to change that. Nothing. And it was known from eternity past. Again, those are some of the things that, you know, it makes it hard. For us to kind of understand, it's like, Mm -hmm. how, how did all of this, you know, how did all of this Mm -hmm. take place? You know, but listen, we have it here in his word. We see, we know everything that we need to know according to his word. He makes it plain to us in his word. There are things that we are not going to understand fully. Those are those things, like we said, we just have to sometimes sit back in, in awe. And sometimes we just have to say, you know, we just have to be content in what it is that we do know and not focus so much on what we don't know. You know, stay within the word, see what it, what the word says about God and be content with what he has shown us. But then, in terms of God's glory, we praise him, you know, for the things that we don't understand about him, you know, we still praise him because it's glorifying to him, to God, to who he is. Some things we just don't know. We're not going to know on on this side of things, you you know, Um, but we will understand some things better, you know, especially when we are face to face with Christ, you know, when we when we see him as he is, you know, we'll, we'll be able to know some things better. But for now, it's like those things that we, we don't know, we don't need to even speculate as to, well, it could be this it could be that. Now, let's stay within the realms of Scripture and what Scripture teaches us and praise God for what he shows us and go even deeper in his word to learn more about him, you know. I have a quick question. Okay. So, does it say in the Bible that we will be getting to know him through eternity as well? It's like when we see him face to face, we'll still be learning, we'll still be throughout eternity? Do you know that? So, in terms of... um, God's glory and who he is, there is no end to his glory, you know, and whenever we are in our glorified state, you know, uh, God is still going to be in terms of his glory, still going to be above and beyond what we are you know what i mean we will understand more things about him we will we will see him like he is we will be you, you know we'll be in that glorified state but is it going to be a thing a, a place where or a state of mind should i say where everything about god is exhausted uh I don't think so. What do you What do you think, Luke? I don't think that it's... Um, yeah, no, I mean, because when we go to glory, um, you know, we'll be fully sanctified. Mm-hmm. You we'll know, be, you know, completely Christ-like, but we're still creatures. We're not Christ. And so I think that, you know, what Aaron said is, you know, absolutely right, that, you know, we're going to know god much more fully than we know him now we're going to be able to worship him in it's kind of the fullness of the splendor and the wisdom of his purposes Mm -hmm. but you know we're still we're still not god like you know christ is god we're not yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. let's but you know yeah, it's one of those things about glory that, you know, you just yeah. kind of yeah. need to find out. Yeah, definitely. And it's like that that unhindered relationship now because sin is out of the way. Right. You, you know what I mean? And what we can know is going to be perfected, you know, because how are we going to be able to know those who are in heaven? You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. Mm-hmm. Sin is going to be out of the way, completely removed. And I think, like, the last time we talked about um, Adam, you know, and his mind and how when God brought the the animals to Adam to name them, it was lion, bear, fish, bird, according to, (laughs) you know what I mean, what it was supposed to be. The species was supposed to be the purpose it was to serve. Why was that? Because there was no sin at that point. You, you know what I mean? There was that high... That, his mind, you, you, you know what I mean, was unaffected by sin. And he could go, go, go. You know what I mean? But then sin entered into the world and changed everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, sin will be out of the way. And that communion... With God is that perfect communion now apart from sin. But will we know the fullness, you know, like all of God and there's nothing else to learn now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we said everything is known to him at once. Nothing to be learned by God. Uh, So to his his will. So his will, like we talked about, is one act of volition. So it was set out beforehand and it's being accomplished as we speak. But this is from the beginning of time. You know, God put into place his plan and nothing is going to change that. You know, nothing is going to change it at all. Uh, Psalm thirty-three, eleven says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. God's counsel or will does not change. There's no reason for him to change his will for anything. Sorry, um, was that 3311? Yeah, Psalm 3311. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 119, 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, Your word is settled in heaven. Um, 119, 152, it says, of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. And then same chapter, verse 160, it says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is Everlasting. So there is nothing that is going to change the will and purpose of God. Uh, Matthew 5 18, it says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, First Peter chapter 1, verse 25, it says, The word of the Lord endures forever. So you know, his his will is decreed in his word and at, at everything that he has decreed will be accomplished. There isn't anything that's going to change it. You know, he knows it all right now. Remember, he knows the end from the beginning. You know, he says that he is the alpha and the omega. So he knows it all for us. Things are rolling out. We don't know it all. God knows it all, you know, uh, but there isn't anything that is going to change his will. God's will is decreed in his word. All that he has decreed will be accomplished. Nothing can or will change that. Uh, Numbers 23, chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent (laughs) Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? So God is not a man that he should lie. So men are variable and change their minds. God is not human. He does not change his mind or purposes. Okay? Uh, William Plumer says this. He says, many causes make human plans and purposes Feeble and uncertain. Infinite perfections make God's plans and counsels immovable and infallible. So God is not going to change anything according to his will. All right. Any questions? The last, uh, was it Numbers 23? 23, 23.19. Yep. Thank you. All right. Uh, God is immutable in terms of place. So God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, it says, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and earth, declares the Lord? So God does not move about from place to place. If he were to periodically move from one place to another, that would involve change, right? A change of location. (laughs) God is everywhere. He's everywhere. And he He um, does not change in terms of place. So there isn't one place that can exist where God is not present. Uh Stephen Charnock says, He who has no cause of being has no limits of being. So there is not one place where God cannot be. Yeah, he, he's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. What was the verse? Sorry. Uh Jeremiah chapter twenty three, verse twenty four. You're welcome. So how else is God immutable? He is immutable in loving kindness to his servants. Uh, Let's turn to Psalm chapter 136. And we'll just read a, a few verses there, but you'll get the picture of God's loving kindness and how he is unchangeable in his loving kindness to his servants starting in verse 1 of chapter 136 it says give thanks to the lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting give thanks to the god of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting give thanks to the lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting to him alone does uh, who to him who alone does great wonders For his loving kindness is everlasting. Um, Then we go down to verse 26 of Psalm 136. And it says this, it says, give thanks to the God of heaven for his loving kindness is everlasting. So to those who are his servants, God is immutable in loving kindness and faithfulness to his servants. He's also immutable in power. God does not change in power. He is omnipotent. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired his understanding is inscrutable so in terms of power he is omnipotent remember we said he did not gain power you know that god is all powerful um so he doesn't change in in terms of power so with all of that uh what are some images some images of Immutability in the Bible. What is the first thing that you think of in terms of immutability, um, images of immutability in the Bible? One thing is rock, right? God as rock. That's an immutable, uh, an image of immutability in the Bible. You know, even when um, God presented himself to Uh, To Moses. He had Moses go and hide in the cleft of a rock. You know, when the children of Israel, when they needed water, he had Moses strike the rock. Right. But the scripture tells us that God is a rock. So let's look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse two. Psalm 18, verse two, it says the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Uh, Same chapter, verse thirty one. It says for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? Uh, Verse 46 of the same chapter It says the Lord lives And blessed be my rock And exalted be the God of my salvation Then chapter 62 verse 2 It says he is he only is my rock in my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Then verses six and seven, it says he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken on God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. So that is just an image of immutability. You know, a rock, a rock, our stronghold, whom God is. Um, another image of immutability is light, God as light. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Alright? So, God as light. So, James here is probably alluding to the celestial lights that move across the sky through the cycle of the day and night. God, the creator of these lights, is eternal light who never passes through times of shadow. So no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, First John chapter one, verse five, it says, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So that is another uh, image of immutability. Um, in scripture for, for God. So God is light. He's never going to be darkness. Mm-hmm. Not one part darkness. He is all light. Okay. Um, he is that rock. That stronghold that we can uh, depend on. That we can grab hold to. That will not change. Okay. Um, now. One way that it may seem that God changes. Let's go to um Genesis chapter six verses five through seven <clears throat> and let's read there give me one second I'm trying to pull up the um the King James version here oh. is it <laughs> Genesis 1 Genesis chapter 6 yeah verses 5 through 7 okay starting in verse 5 it says and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Okay? So, there is just one example of how it seems that God may change because it says that God repented that he had made man so he changed his mind that he made man but God does not change right now your translation of it may say something different I don't think even in the NASB it doesn't say repented but Uh, That is the idea behind it. Um, So what does the NASB say? It says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Uh, What does the ESV say? He He regretted. Okay. Yeah. So with all of that, you can see that there's some hint of a change there. So why? Did this eternal God, immutable God, make man only to change his mind about making him? So, this is uh, not in the same sense of repent as we are used to. See, because when we repent, it's because of sin toward God. You know, we are repenting we're changing our mind about that sin and seeing it the same way that god does so we repent we turn away from it and ask god for forgiveness saying at the same time because we see this sin the same way that you do god you know it is what we are saying god's repentance here in this context his regretting his um It had to do with his dealings with man. So his his outward conduct, his outward conduct changed from kindness to severity toward man. But there was not a change in his eternal purpose or will because it was according to what he had decreed from the beginning. So that moment, that point in time right there, you know, where those words were even spoken, that was all according to God's will. You know, so he it wasn't like, okay, I made a mistake. I need to change things now. What am I going to do now to make this right? No, that was even according to his will and his purpose, which does not change. So his immutable counsel and will. Did not change. So God saying that he repented is another way of God, like we talked about before, condescending to communicate with us in ways that we can understand, you know, that that helps us to understand how God was grieved with man at that time. You know, it wasn't a change in who God was or in his will or his uh, his purpose. All right. We good there? Any questions? Okay. All right. So, you know, we could go on to talk about the many ways that God is unchangeable and how it should lead us to trust more in him. But in all of that. It should also, as we learn to trust more in God, the father, it should also lead us to trust more in his son, who is equally God and equally unchangeable. So John chapter one, verse 14. It tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you could say God's immutability entered into our world. His human nature changed, but his divine nature remained the same. Okay? As to his humanity in his youth, he increased in wisdom in stature and in favor with God, as Luke chapter 2, tells us, and in favor with uh, God and man. Uh, the change that he modeled in his human nature was in positive direction displaying how we are to love God with all, uh, all of our heart, soul, strength and mind and our neighbor as ourself. As Luke chapter 10, 27 tells us, Christ did not sin. Hebrews four uh, fifteen it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So in his humanity, he went through changes, right? He suffered. He was tempted, but through it all, He matured in son-like obedience to God. This is what Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 through 9 tell us. And this was all according to God's plan and purposes. So even at that time, God's incarnate son was and continues to be eternal God. So John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So that speaks to the eternality of God the Son. Christ always was. You know there there was not a time when Christ did not exist. God the Son did not exist. Same with God the Holy Spirit. Not a time that the Holy Spirit did not exist uh, John chapter 8 verse 58 it says before Abraham was I am isn't that the same thing that God said to uh, Moses I am that I am right and this is why they wanted to kill Jesus right <laughs> so in his eternal divine nature Christ never changes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, makes Christ the subject of the doxology found in Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. So let's take a look at um, Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, and then we'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Starting in verse 25, it says, of old, you founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter one, verses 10 through 12. And we see, we'll see here that Christ was made the subject of that doxology. Let's actually start in verse eight. It says, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain and they all will become like become old like a garment and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment they will also be changed but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. So, Christ's incarnation did not change God for his divine nature uh, was joined without mixture or confusion. Okay, He was Fully God and fully man, Christ was. Um, And as R.C. Sproul always used to say, truly God, truly man. So uh, there was no change in God, in the divine nature of God, when Christ was incarnated into human flesh. Uh, Thomas Watson says this. He says, if the divine nature had been converted into human, or the human into the divine, There had been a change, but they were not. So Um, there was a personal hypostatic union. So Christ is one person with two distinct natures, divine and human. The union between God and man in Christ's unique person is everlasting. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever all right so he is forever the God man the mediator who unites the holy one with elect men and women so what should that do for us knowing that God is unchangeable knowing that Christ is unchangeable knowing that his will is unchangeable It should cause us to trust fully in him. And every promise that he gives us within his word, we should trust it as it relates to us. Listen, your salvation, Christ's salvation for you, God's salvation for you was determined in eternity past. If God could change, there was the possibility of change for that. You know, if God could change now, there is the possibility of your salvation not being rock solid. Right. But we know that Christ will not go back on his promise. God will not go back on his promise. The Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. So that immutability should be. Give us more confidence in God to trust in him with our whole being, not to hold anything back. Spare no expense in learning about who Christ is. Waste no time calling dead sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. Do what God has called you to do. Serve him. Serve him with all that you are. Do not be afraid to step out into this world and be what Christ has called you to be. You are his child. You are protected by God. His will for your life has been determined. The first breath that you took, the next breath that you take. The last breath that you take is all in God's hands. It's in his will. It's in it's a part of his purpose. He's not going to change what he has set out. So serve him with all that you are. Don't hold back. All right. That's it. Any questions? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for being unchangeable, God, even though it may be uncomfortable at times, God, and we may try to rationalize things in our minds to uh, make things more comfortable for us, God, and that is just a sinful way of ours because we are still in the flesh god help us to take you at your word for who you say that you are god help us to throw ourselves at the feet of jesus christ god whenever we sin help us to come to you boldly before the throne of grace begging god for mercy knowing that you will restore us god and that we will be made whole through the blood of jesus christ Our our sins are imputed to the cross of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for sending him to die for our sin, God. And we just pray that we would devote our lives to you fully, God, more and more each day that we would learn about you, God. We know that you don't change. That is what your word said. But that should give us confidence in you you, knowing that we can trust in every